You're listening to the cycling podcast Femina, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. It's been a while, hasn't it? But welcome back. This is the Cycling Podcast Feminine. My name is Rose Manley. And, uh, well, it's been it's been more than a month, actually, since the Tour de France uh, fam finished. And that was the last uh, bit of podcasting uh, that uh, we were doing. But well, I say we, but I haven't introduced you. Of course, I'm joined by Lizzie Banks, who was my Tour de France fam companion. Hello, Rose. It's lovely to be back. Uh, and Orla Shenoui. Orla, you've been away for such a long time now from us. I know, it's lovely to be back. The funny thing is, whenever we um, called each other and you were saying, it's been such a long time, I thought, it's not been that long, has it? And I realised that obviously I've been in your company, listening to the Tour de France fam podcast every day, but you've not been in mine. So it's lovely well, to be back Well, we've been in your company watching the Tour de France fam, of course. So we feel, feel <laughs> like... True from afar that we've been together, but but it has been a long time. What a strange relationship we have. <laughs> it has. But it makes me think that now you're like, oh my God, Rose never, Rose and Lizzie never shut up. They never let me get a word in their place. <laughs> You've just been listening to us on output no. and you haven't been putting your own two No, do you know, it was absolutely lovely. And I messaged both of you to say, you did such an amazing job on the Tour de France fam. And I felt like it was the very essence of the cycling podcast and the cycling podcast Femina. And it was a, it was a real treat for me to just sit back and enjoy it as a listener and to not know what was coming next and not to have to think about what to say. And I was able to listen to it and relax and just go, oh yeah, they're right, aren't they? So it was quite nice to, instead of, it would have been annoying if I thought, what are they talking about? They don't have a clue. They need me back on again. <laughs> but it wasn't that. It was brilliant. It was ab- <laughs> you did a brilliant job and it was lovely. It was so enjoyable to follow. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Orla. That that means uh, an awful, awful lot. And and thank you for your support during the week as well. When when we uh, get every time we got a message from you saying you guys are doing great, we were like, yes, come on, Lizzie, we can do well, it. Well, you know, I actually learned something really interesting from you at the Tour de France, Rose, because last week I was at a local wine fair mm. and there were some wine producers from the Alsace, and there were a lot of Gebutstraminer wines. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> And and so I said, oh, are you are you located close to Lamarckstein? Uh, did you watch the Tour de France fam? And I, I, you know, I seemed vaguely knowledgeable when all I really wanted to do was drink their wine, which was absolutely <laughs> excellent, I have to say. So uh, thanks for educating me on Geburtstramina. Uh, I think that's how you say it. I oh, you're doing so well. I think, uh, to be honest, it was definitely not me that was educating you. It might have been Rook, and it was very much probably Francois doing his French flavour that actually probably taught you anything about it. I was the one that was just calling it Gerbil Meister <laughs> as I merrily uh, knocked it back. I, I can tell you what it tastes like because I drank a lot in that little lovely place in Rosheim. Well, you think you, um, think you we can were. tell us what it tastes like. I was going to say, uh, are we going to do tasting notes? <laughs> yeah. was, it, was it nice? But yeah, I mean, it was a, that is a distant memory really now, um, the Tour de France fam. And uh, certainly for the races themselves, it will definitely feel like a long time ago because there have been so many races in the past, what kind of six weeks that we're talking about. Uh, it Just on the Women's World Tour alone. And of course, we've got the World Championships uh, coming up so you know the whole season is kind of coming to a to a head now um but uh we've got so much to talk about that I actually thought we would do an incredibly I know we always say we're doing a free jazz all as news roundup but this one is going to be so 
uh, free jazz is going to be like, we're going to be like the John Coltrane's <laughs> of the free jazz movement. We are going to be so experimental with this particular news roundup. So with that in mind, Orla, I'm not going to ask you to uh, tell us yeah, your roundup straight away. I'm going to let the suspense uh, build uh, a little bit, but uh, don't worry, everyone. It will only be a few moments and we'll be back with Orla's news roundup. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat or drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimise your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights and personalised analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thank you very much to Super Sapiens, our title sponsors. During the coverage of the Vuelta a España recently, we heard from Sam Brand, who rides for Team Novo Nordisk. And like all the riders on that team, he is a type 1 diabetic. And so Sam uses continuous glucose monitoring technology to manage his diabetes. And over the period of time that he's been using the technology, he's learned a lot about how his body responds to fueling and to racing and to resting. And he's come up with some golden rules, some do's and don'ts. And this is one of the mistakes that you should avoid on race day. Uh, some of the easiest mistakes, again, is probably the, the exact opposite of what I said, which is changing things on a race day. Uh, never change things on a race day. Just if things aren't going right, just keep going with the experience you had because it's all about sort of building that process. You know, sometimes the outcome doesn't come. Uh, to the way you expect it but that's not because you've done the process wrong that's because there's a lot of uh, variables that are well out of your control and people uh, often forget that there's a lot of outcomes that are beyond your control so um, if you do the stuff that's in your control then obviously uh, they might not get the result that you desire but you've done everything you can to get there and that's probably the most important thing to find out more about super sapiens and how it can help your performance go to supersapiens.com now it's back to rose orla and lizzie Okay, so let's start with a news roundup that's so freeform jazz that you can probably smell a cigar smoke from wherever you are. Um, <laughs> so we're going to go back to the start of August. We have the two days of the post-Nord Vergarda West Sweden, starting with the team time trial, a rare event in the Women's World Tour, won by Trek Segafredo with SD Works in second and DSM in third. The road race the following day was initially won by Mariana Voss, but she was subsequently disqualified because she briefly had her hands off the handlebars, the old puppy paws technique that's been banned for safety reasons. She was almost on the podium by the time that she was told. Um, she didn't get any racing benefit from the position, but rules are rules. And we do usually criticise commissaires for reacting only when things go wrong and a rider has been injured and not for punishing the rule breaking itself. So I guess we can't really argue with that. But that meant that Audrey Cordon Rigaud got the win instead. And that will have been a popular win all the same. It was for me anyway, because we don't usually get to see her very much in the podium. She's usually helping out her teammates. So she looked crestfallen though, didn't she? It, just on the podium, 
She looked. She did. Gut- Despite win- you know, then winning, she looked gutted. She did, and she? she she had an interview afterwards where she said, "To me, this is second place. I, you know, I didn't win this race, but actually, it was her first World Tour win, mm. which seems quite surprising because she's always there, and she's all. I think you know, she's she's such a good domestique rider that she's always so visible. But actually, it was her first World Tour win, and her second one, as I'm sure you're probably due to mention, mm. Orla, was you know just a few weeks later in the Simac Ladies Tour, or her, or her first individual win, I should say, because of course she's been part of TTT teams before but um it's a shame that it was overshadowed by uh by mariana voss being disqualified after the end of the race when the incident mm. happened during the race um but it was a it was an odd podium wasn't it i also saw audrey cordon said she felt like the commissaires were punishing her as well she said that she felt she felt like she had been punished by being handed uh, victory but obviously mm. herself not feeling like it, you know that she won it on sporting grounds and then having to stand at the top of the top of the podium i guess it's kind of especially as you say you know it's, as her first uh, world tour win that's not the way and the manner in which you want to win it i guess so it, they, they that's kind of been stolen from her in in being uh, handed the win but i did when i saw it actually i wanted to ask you lizzie you know as a rider um I guess, is it just a lapse of concentration, that kind of infringement? And It was so... You know, obviously it was, it was only so three momentary. seconds that Marianne was in the position, mm. but... Yeah, yeah. and you know, you know, sometimes when you're speaking and you, you, you know, sometimes you don't think ahead enough and you say something and you think, oh, well, that's a bit stupid, but it's a bit too late. It, you know, it's almost like that. You, you go and do something and as soon as it, she well, went to do it... The podcast listeners know that very well about us, Lizzie, <laughs> I think. The podcast listeners are like, oh yeah, that's that's what they're doing all the time. As, as soon as she sort of put her, her hands in the, the puppy paws, it's called position she then realized straight away and then came back up but it was it was too late for the infringement of the rules and there was a bit of a kind of debate online because this um the infringement had actually been brought up online by a fan lots of people are following along with the race online providing their own commentary and their own insight into what they think's happened uh, and later there was uh you know talk maybe maybe they found this out because i posted this on twitter not me but somebody else and uh, then there was another photo which was showing the commissaires with the, the video screens and a big picture of the Twitter feed for the race and the hashtag for the race. So it's very interesting, really. And I, I think, you know, it's almost like a, a video replay decision. But I do think it's a difficult decision because it 100% affected the outcome of the race. Um, we all know that if Marianne Voss is there, she's likely to win. But also if there were three riders in that break rather than four, would it have made it to the line? We don't know. But there, I think the consolation prize in the disqualification of Marianne Voss um, was a podium spot for Valerie DeMay of Live Racing. And I think that's a great result for her, to be honest. She's had a really good mm. season um, and a second place on the podium for Fife for Georgie as well. Um, and as she's so often working for Lorena Vibers, I think that despite all of that, actually, and, and you know, Audrey Cordon Rigo very much wasn't happy about taking that win, but the, for the people slightly lower down, actually, it probably meant a lot to be on that podium. And you've got to think as well that now that a bit of time has passed, Audrey Cordon Rigo would be a little bit more philosophical about it and quite happy to have taken the win, especially because, as you say, and we'll get to this, um, uh, Lizzie, that she has had another win since, but... I guess it's just the manner in which you win because you don't get to cross the line with your arms in the air first and whatnot. But I have to say, even though I th- I think it was quite an unpopular decision at the time on social media that Marianne Voss had been deprived of the win, if you like, but I'm all for sticking to the rules, whatever the rules are, because that's the only way to have clarity. And you can't say in one situation, 
that it wasn't for very long and so let her get away with it or oh we've let the race continue now um so we might as well give her the win whatever it might be we just we criticize race officials all the time and rightly so for only punishing a negative outcome when actually we should be punishing the rule breaking itself whether you agree with the rules or not that's how we get clarity that's how racing is made safer and everybody knows where they stand so um Marianne of Oz seemed to be very disappointed afterwards and I can totally understand that but I think it was the right decision in the end and hopefully Audrey was able to celebrate eventually but Mariana Voss did take it like an absolute champion as she oh, always, as ever. always as does. She was incredibly yeah. gracious. But I do think that in these, I agree with you, Orla, I think rules are rules. And, you know, having said that, there are so many times when rules aren't enacted. <laughs> are stupid. Incredibly frustrating. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or mm. stupid, yeah. yeah. Um, but I really wish that if they were going to disqualify her, they had disqualified her immediately. Like we mm. saw with Elisa mm. Balsamo at Paris-Roubaix, you know, mm. the the video happened of her drafting and she was disqualified immediately so that then that rider who is not in the race doesn't have mm. an effect on the race which 100% she did have so mm. hopefully we'll see commissaires learn from that and, and make a faster decision but there you know if things crop up online then then you know we probably will have these situations and these conversations again in the future yeah hopefully they'll either pay closer attention to the race or closer attention to twitter as people are tweeting at the time <laughs> anyway on to the tour of scandinavia then and cecily utrup ludwig continued her brilliant run of form with her first gc win and took a stage along the way with liana lippert in second and alex manley in third in the general classification now we should note the stage wins here because the rider that we're just referring to mariana voss who was deprived of of her win in the race before took four of the six stages at the Tour of Scandinavia, bringing her win tally up to 248, which is absolutely <laughs> mind-boggling. That is mad. It's beautiful. Mad. Um, Alex Manley then won the other stage. And I do think there are a few riders that are worth mentioning here, and you both might have opinions on some of them or others, but... I'm not sure how I correctly pronounce her surname, but in commentary, they were saying Megan Jastrab of DSM. She made herself known by finishing second on stage one, which was the best result yet for the 20-year-old American and worth noting, I thought, because of the impending departure of Lorena Vibus, who's off to SD Works. So great to see them bringing other sprinting talent through. And then on stage five, Julie van der Velde had her best result yet, finishing in third. Now, she's 29 from Belgium. She also finished sixth on GC, making it her best race yet as well. Um, she'd been at Lotto Sudal since 2017 and then Jumbo Visma last year. So it's a step up for her this year. She approaches 30. And then on stage six, Shari Bussout of Canyon Shram finished in second. Another young Belgian, 22 years of age. Um, and she had three podiums in this race and also a third and a fourth at the Women's Tour after a second on GC um, at the Lotto Belgium Tour. So a name to be watching out for. And we've mentioned the Belgians before, haven't we? And it's just lovely to see young Belgian talent coming through, I think. Lizzie, were you going to say something? I thought you had your hand up. I was indeed. Class. And the other the other <laughs> name that I wanted to mention, who was just off the podium, actually, but on stage five up to the Northfiel um, ski climb, Josie Nelson, young British rider. She was fourth oh, yes. place, which was a mm-hmm. very impressive ride. A very credible ride amongst, you know, 
very good company Cecilia Utrecht Ludwig winning that stage of course and I think that shows um, a lot for the future and it's been her her first season with uh, Co-op High Tech Products this year yeah and that wasn't any old stage to finish fourth on was it it was a tough old stage tough old finish it was indeed and I think actually that almost the benefit of having the Giro back to back with the tour back to back with the tour of Scandinavia has allowed for more names to come through and you mentioned Megan Jastrab of DSM of course with Lorena Vibas leaving next year going to SD Works her and Charlotte Cool are really going to have to step up. Having those opportunities when her, you know, leader that she's almost always working for, Lorena Vibas, isn't there, gives her that opportunity and that experience to to work off and to feed off for next year when she is going to be fighting for those wins. And second to Voss, I mean, you know, most people almost count that as a win. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's going to be so important for DSM also to find these avenues for victories because they do rely an awful lot on Lorena Vibas uh get you know uh upping their victory count don't they yeah absolutely and of course Lorena Vibas's helpers Flirtia Mackay and Liana Lipper another incredible helper of hers they're both leaving now to go to Movistar we're just chucking a bit of transfer news into uh mm. into the news roundup yeah. but there there is a lot of change in a lot of the big teams over the winter this year but it is going to allow for these younger names to come through because there is so much young talent bubbling up and we've seen that in this race and then I think we're going to see more of it in the rest of your news roundup, Orla, so I'm going to stop uh, ran- rambling on and let you get uh, on with it. <laughs> yeah, we are, but, but I just want to refer to a point that you made there, Lizzie, that I hadn't thought of and it's a really good point, this congestion of racing, which I think a lot of us were a little bit worried about and given the size of the women's teams compared to the men's teams, the stretching of the squads to be able to fill all of the women's world tour races was a bit of a concern but actually the huge advantage of that is that it's allowed the teams to not only uh, bring through fresh blood younger blood but for those younger riders to taste success against and in the mix with some of the best riders in the world the best riders in the world like Mariana Voss and that will give them not only a better tactical awareness and racing awareness, but so much confidence whenever you've got big names like at DSM, Lorena Vibas leaving. If you know you can take a win or you can be right in a sprint mix with Mariana Voss, that is a huge boost, I think, going forward. So it's actually maybe been quite a good thing for young riders because we're so used to seeing the same names dominating the podium um, at races that it's actually been quite refreshing, I think, from the outside. It was um, It was definitely something that struck me when looking back at, at the volume of racing that we've had um, in August and the first half of September, the number of different names that we had. And, you know, it was a much smaller race, but Tour of the Pyrenees ran, won by my teammate, Christabel Double-Hickcock. But Ricardo Baunfiend from Canyon Shram Generation is another huge talent that's coming through. She had um, a second place on the Queen stage in this race to Krista and then another second place on the third stage. And she was also racing again in Tour of the Ardèche. Unfortunately, I think she she crashed out and had to leave. But she's a real talent that's coming through. And she's using some of these smaller races when everybody else is over at, uh, at Tour of Scandinavia or tired from racing the Tour de France. And then the other Demay, not related, Coralie Demay, also had a really, really great result there. So... Um, Yes, it is difficult because there is so much racing. It is congested and it's very difficult for the teams because the the team personnel, they only have so many staff and they get tired as well. Um, But I do think there are so many names. You know, it's not just SD Works winning every race like it was Mm. in 2016. Different teams are winning all the time and different names from different teams. And that's really, really exciting for the future. 
Yeah, it feels really refreshing. I love how we're saying all this off the back of talking about 12 Count Scandinavia, where Marina Voss did actually win four uh, stages four of the out six of six stages. <laughs> Marianne, Marianne Voss is an it, exception and a great one at that. Is an exception. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I have to say, when I was watching it, I was like, oh, I, I recognise that finish. They have that finish every year in the Ladies' Tour of Norway. I was like, I'll just go back and have a look. And I was like, oh, yeah, in the 2019 uh, Ladies' Tour of Norway, which is basically the same race, Marianne Voss won three of the four stages and in the 2018 she won one she four. won all yeah. three of them <laughs> all, three. all three and in 2014 she won two out of three so as they add more stages <laughs> Marianne Voss just adds more wins onto so, that so there is that great race, diversity of wins except for in the Tour of Norway now known as the Tour of Scandinavia <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all heel yeah. Mariana Voss. That's what we all say. Um, on to yeah. the classic Lorient Agglomération Trophée. Sarah Tizet. Can Which I interject? I, are you, or, are or you or not yeah, the European Championships, Orla? Sorry, I'm just <gasps> going to make you go back so that we can say that again. Because, of course, we had the European Championships ITT, which was an absolute showdown between, I would say, the best two-time trialists out and out in the world at the moment, Marlon Reuser and Ellen van Dijk, who is, of course, the current our record holder as well. And in the end, Marlon Reuser won by six seconds, but it was so close. You couldn't call it the whole way and it was absolutely thrilling. Um, and the start of what I think is a brilliant and very respectful rivalry between the two races and something I expect to see replicated at this World Championships. Um, and in third place was Mariana Marcus, who had a, a breakthrough ride, only 20, 28 seconds behind um, Marlon Reuser. Uh, then in the European road race, it came down to an inevitable sprint and the breast sprinter in the world this year, Mariana Vibus, won from Balsamo with Raquelia Barbieri in third place. Thank you very much. I'm glad somebody's paying attention. I was too busy trying to concentrate in the pronunciation <laughs> now you can just introduce, of this. Introduce Pluet's full title yeah, again. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, no, no. I'll just refer to it as the former GP de Pluet because... That um, took me by surprise. And actually, the first time I ever had to say that name of the full race was live on air. And I hadn't realised that my producer had put the full bloomin' thing. And usually I don't read Autocue because it's all sort of unscripted. But the promos of the races at the end of our show is in Autocue. And I and it was on my screen and I was like, I can't stop now. So I've got, I've got to keep going with agglomération. <laughs> Anyway, I'm not saying it again, plie. Um, And it was wonderful to see Mavi Garcia take the win. I'm sure we'll all remember the incident at the Tour de France fam when she was knocked down by her own team car. So brilliant to see her on the top set of the podium. And Amber Crack is fascinating. She finished in second. She joined Jumbo Visma last year after switching from the Dutch Olympic rowing team. She's now 28. And I love that. Continued, it feels like, um... Uh, symbiosis with between rowing and cycling whatever it is about the endurance elements of them and I always think they're two sports where um, you'll maybe correct me on this Lizzie but I feel like the sports where the athletes have to push into a particular corner of darkness to be able to succeed and I think that's the psychology of the two sports are maybe aligned in some way. I don't know. Or just, or just athletes that like sitting down. <laughs> Have you considered that, I'm trying to. I mean, I've only been You're trying to make them sound lazy. So I'm probably not the best person to ask about the symbiosis between rowing and cycling. Uh, something to do with something yeah. to do with the endurance, the determination, and. Um, well, thankfully, as cyclists, we don't have to get up at five in the morning to go out rowing on uh, freezing cold rivers. So. I definitely prefer. But we do to be on get bike. these these rowers, don't we, coming over? Like Kristen Faulkner, she was a rower. Hayley Simmons, Hayley Simmons is a, yeah. was a rower. 
So, you know, there is, a, I guess it's a good end. You just have a good Rebecca engine. Rebecca Romero good good engine. transferred across many years ago as well. Didn't yeah, she? of yeah, course, yeah. Yeah, yeah um, I preferred, as I said, to hero worship and Rose prefers to say that they're lazy, the sitting down events. Um, <laughs> anyway, at third in Plouye was Grace Brown, who continued a strong run of form after a second on GC and a stage at the Women's Tour, as well as the Commonwealth um, individual time trial title. On to the Simac Ladies Tour and Lorraine of Avis, who we've spoken about an awful lot already and rightly so, took two stages and the overall, giving her 21 wins this year, if you include the GC in this and from the Women's Tour, which I think we should include, which is absolutely phenomenal. The woman is just incredible. Um, Audrey cordon Rigaud also won a stage, giving her... Her second road win this year after Vargarda and outside of the Nationals, of course, she became the national champion again. Um, but hopefully she got to celebrate that a little bit more. And Caroline Swinkles of Jumbo Visma finished in third for her highest GC placing, 23 years of age. She also finished second on a stage um, and that second place was her second best result as well on the road. Now, as well as the double stage wins for Vibis, it's interesting to note something we've talked about already, and that was Charlotta Cole taking stage three with Webus in second. We saw that transfer from Webus, you know, the sort of transfer of power from Webus to Charlotta Cole, and she did an absolutely phenomenal mm. lead out for Charlotta Cole. But the two of them were miles ahead of the rest of the bunch, which is really exciting for Charlotte Cole, I think, for next year, because now she's going to have the confidence that she can beat everybody else and probably beat her former teammate or well what who will be her former teammate next year in the future but does it make a difference if your your lead out person is the fastest person yes uh, in the peloton it does but it also makes a difference <laughs> so, that you know, team dsm are absolutely drilled with the sprints and they are mm, so so mm. good at preparing their riders for the sprints they really are a sprint team you know they often lack um you know, kind of the climbers or, or the climbing team um, because they're so focused on the, the sprints, but they are so drilled to it. They really know how to get the best out of their riders, how to bring them together for the lead out and how to execute that final bit of the race. And that's so important because if you can't bring everything together to get your sprinter in the right place, then you're not going to be able to finish it off unless you're Marianne Voss. Um, so... So yeah, I think it's very, very important. And I think that whoever DSM bring in, they, they have that structure. They know how to how to perform the sprint lead out strain. They know how to get people into the right place and how to bring them up. So I think that's really important. And they've shown they've got two huge talents in the sprints with Megan Jastrab and Charlotte Cool. Am I wrong as well to see an awful lot of grace in that move and 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 consider Lorena Vibus to be incredibly gracious in doing that lead out? Obviously, she's still part of the team and will have to follow team instruction. But to be able to do that for her teammate when she is leaving the team and obviously DSM are trying to fine tune and hone their sprinting talent at the pointy end of affairs, to, for her to do that and, and give Charlotte Cole, who will be her rival next year, that extra confidence, I think is a brilliant thing. I think it's re it really warms mm. my heart. Am I overplaying that? It, it, I it, Well, <laughs> it did surprise me, actually. I, I, I mean, I was surprised because for me, it, it's not a sprinter's mentality mm. uh, to want to play second fiddle. Um Ever. Yeah, but so but, it, you know, they it's, have it's, more than one sprinter and also in that I think, team. I was almost surprised they didn't do it sooner. Mm. Yeah, but you know, when Lorena Weber is consistently getting the results, I mean, she she has been unbeatable. She really she really has been as close to. Uh, I mean, we always talk about how unbeatable Marianne Vos but is, but you know, this year, 
Lorena Rebus in as soon as you have a sprint situation, she really has been unbeatable. So, you know, for a team that are trying to get you're trying to get as many victories as you can, why play with that? Are they trying formula? to get as many and victories as you know, they can? Know though, or are they trying to refine their team so that they've got the best team? possible going forward and try to give something back so that everybody feels well, now better. I think they are now I think they are but I mean like that's why that I think that's why they made that decision now uh, or you know very recently I mean the Simac ladies was not that long ago but I mean but before that I was actually surprised that they didn't switch roles on the second stage um and after the second stage, I remember thinking, why didn't why didn't they go for cool this time? Because she's had so many, so many good results. And then when they did do that on the third stage, I was really, really happy to see that. Because, you know, the, the sprint lead out, you know, the other sprinters work so hard in the lead out. And of course you're you're delighted by the win, but but Lorena is what the one that gets the praise. And until you try the other sprinters and you try them out, how do you know if they're not actually just as good? Mm. I mean, obviously you can, you know, you can try in training scenarios, but it's not the same. So yes, maybe they're going to win with Bebas every time. But what if they switch that? What if they put Cool in every time? Maybe they'd win as well. Okay, I take it back, Lorena. Why didn't you do it sooner, for goodness sake? <laughs> um, anyway, on to more from that race. And Rihanna Marcus of Jumbo Visma won her first race this year outside the national championship. She is, of course, the Dutch national champion. And it was only her third professional win, actually, in her career at the age of 28. And Audrey Cordon Rigaud won stage five. Stage six, then, won by Misha Bredevold, the 22-year-old Dutch woman of Park Hotel Valkenburg. That was her best result yet. And good news for Estee Works as well, who have signed her on a two-year contract for next year. It's almost like they know how to spot young Dutch talent coming through and nick it from everybody else um and 20 year old italian eleonora camilla gasparini of valcar travel and service um finished in third and i'm mentioning these riders as i've said earlier because we wouldn't have heard their names very much before and there's so much talent coming through when you consider that de lorena vivas finished in third in that and finally we had the first ever five day sarah at challenge by la vuelta and at the first time of asking Annemiek van Vleuten won the pink jersey of the Giro, the yellow of the Tour and the red of the Vuelta all within 10 weeks of each other and the first time it was a possibility. Now before I move on to who else finished where in that race, what do we make of that? Because obviously the concept of winning the pink and the yellow and the red led to a lot of people saying she's won the three Grand Tours and, you know, comparisons across to men's cycling and how impossible that would be. And then there's the counter argument of whether or not we consider each of these races to be Grand Tours and how big a deal it was anyway. I mean, I would say it's a massive deal anyway because she managed to do it. Um, But are we, I guess, in danger of veering into the territory of who cares really, you know, and trying to... um, sort of categorise these races as Grand Tours, does it matter? Do you know what I mean? Is it a redundant discussion? I don't think we ever leave that that, that kind of uh, area, do we, or on this podcast, who cares, really? Redundant <laughs> argument. No, I mean, uh, who even cares about women's cycling? <laughs> no, no, I, 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 I mean, would personally say... I didn't say, mean um... who cares whether she won. I meant, do we? Do, is the argument even worth having? Does it matter? You know, whether or not they are Grand Tours and how big a deal it is and, and where we categorise it all. I think what's interesting, actually, is that Annemiek herself has said that the Vuelta 
you know, she didn't really put that on the same, you know, level as the Tour de France or the Giro. And even before the Tour de France, we heard Annemiek saying that, um, you know, the Giro held the same regard as as winning the yellow jersey mm. at the Tour de France. And then during the Tour de France, we then, you know, began to see these kind of cogs turning and, and things changing in her mind. And she said, oh, you know, I saw the yellow jersey on Marianne Voss's shoulders and actually I did, I did, you know, feel something. And it probably wasn't even until after the Tour de France when all of that reality of what she had achieved finally sunk in, that she was the first winner of the yellow jersey for the new rebirth of this Tour de France. Um, and how much that means. And and not just the length of the race, it's not just about the length of the race, it's about what it takes out of you with the media, the fans, the exhaustion, the hype, all of that is so much more exhausting because it is the Tour de France. And let's be honest, we don't have that about, about the Vuelta yet. Mm. The Vuelta, I think they're doing a really good thing during the race, but it's not there yet. It's a five day race. It is simply not comparable to the challenges that the tour or or the Giro throws at you. Um, so, I mean, we can't say anything else than what she's achieved is phenomenal and she is by far and away the best GC rider in the world, without a doubt. Um, and we can also say that you simply can't compare it to winning the, the men's Giro, Tour, Vuelta because they are completely different races. They are different sports. So, I mean, how do we end that? Just that we don't, we don't care. <laughs> but, that, but that's kind of what I mean, really, in that I guess, I guess we're in that dangerous territory of comparing with men's racing. But as you say, they're completely different sports. It really doesn't matter. It, it really is, doesn't matter because what I, she did I was still exceptional. That. I just believe that they're different sports. I just mm. believe that they are different entities that share a lot of the same things, names of races, mm. organizers of races. Um, and, but at the end of the day, they are different. And until, until we get to the point that they are equal, if that's even what we want to aim for, which I don't believe that is what we want to aim for, um, then I don't really think that they're comparable. But I do think that what we can say absolutely unequivocally is that what Annemiek van Vluten has done is phenomenal and mm. that she is a brilliant, inspirational bike rider. The way she works, the way she trains, the way she races, mm. um, she is just fearless. And I actually wrote on my notes for stage two of the Seratocyte Challenge, AVV solo rampage. Um, <laughs> Coffee she, and She's paste. just fearless. She races like nobody else does and uh, she has the power to do it. And yeah, she's a great competitor. And I think it's a privilege to be around in mm -hmm. her era of bright racing, to be honest. No, I think uh, uh, I, I would also say the Vuelta is definitely the the weak uh, part of, of that trinity of of races, but you know, I actually thought when the Battle of the North, which is now the Tour of Scandinavia, was launched uh, or you know named uh, a few years ago, I thought that might have mm. become actually the third part of, of the you know three parts of Grand Tours, if that's if that's what we're looking for. But you know that that is kind of has just become the ladies' tour of Norway. I think they didn't get Vorgorda to kind of come in on it and you know to make it what. Uh, what we were kind of um, expecting it to be. But I think also we shouldn't make the mistake of thinking that Annemiek van Vleuten was tar in any mm. way targeting the Vuelta or building her um, season around it. You know, she's so canny. She, she will have used it as a good stepping stone to get the results at the World Championships, which will matter a lot more 
than uh, you know the 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 world winning the red jersey of the world tour will absolutely do. and you know what if people want to say and make those comparisons with three grand tours and and point out the symbolism of the jerseys then then wonderful I don't think she is that bothered by that symbolism necessarily but if it allows people to understand the narrative somewhat then I think it's great I just want to say very very quickly because I realise that. Even though um, I said I was listening along happily to your Tour de France coverage, I realised I didn't get a chance just to have a very quick word on it. And I only think of it now because, as you were saying about Annemiek, not even being that, I mean, not that she wasn't that fussed about it beforehand, but that she wasn't hanging her heart on it. She didn't even care about the jersey. (laughs) She didn't even care about women's cycling. I feel feel like this is one of the very few times that I can compare myself to Annemiek van Vleuten, quite frankly, because I was on that same journey whereby I had so many doubts beforehand hand and I had so many reservations and I think she was probably quite rightly keeping those reservations in case the whole thing wasn't that good or it didn't live up to the hype um and I just wanted to there's just a moment as you were talking that came into my head that I think will always stick with me in terms of my own um witnessing of the evolution of women's sport and that was on the final stage as they were coming up to the final climb, there was one little girl who was by the side of the road and she's been held up, I think, by her father and she kept she kept just making it onto the camera shot. She was on that certain angle where she was always seen. And the crowds on that final climb even just now give me absolute goosebumps and the thought that all of those fans made their own way up there to watch women's racing, not the preamble or the postscript of the men's race, just for women's racing. And I saw that little girl and I thought, oh my life, she thinks this is normal. This is what women's sport is in her lifetime. And for that, I I think the, the Tour de France fam, ASO, everyone involved in that race deserve an, a huge round of applause because if if... Every single girl who got to see the racing believes now that that's what women's sport is and that's the platform it deserves and that's its natural place in the world. Then that is absolutely generationally game changing. Phenomenal. Um, So I just wanted to get that in because because I forget that it made such a difference. Even even beyond, you know, the fact that that it was women's cycling, I think sometimes I take for granted how much of an inspiration um just seeing athletes yeah. at the top level on your doorstep is and until actually I spoke to you Lizzie when we were filming for the bunny hop and you were telling me about how you got into cycling because you saw the, the Tour, de, Tour France. de France om mm. the Tour de France om, om came the, past my um... house almost in 2014 <laughs> and I didn't know who it was yeah and we took we had a camera and we just took photos and we looked back through and there was Garrett Thomas and Chris Froome and obviously I knew those <laughs> names because they were in the national news but I didn't really know anything about else about it and that was what kind of gave me that spark about competitive sport but you know all of I almost wish we'd have just finished what you said with a bang because it was so powerful <laughs> but um interestingly watching back you know a lot of the documentaries that are coming out about the Tour de France fam one thing that I noticed that I found really really interesting and I also found this with other women's sports so um on the final day of the Tour de France fam the uh, the England women's team also won the uh, the Euro championships and um but watching back on these documentaries of the Tour de France fam what I noticed is that the people lining the road and particularly the kids lining the road mm-hmm. are girls and boys and yeah, when there's yeah. a men's sport event it is 
predominantly men and young boys and I don't know what it is about the inclusive nature or well that's what it is isn't it the, the inclusive nature and the inclusive vibe of women's sport that just brings everybody together and it doesn't matter if you're a young boy or a young girl you'll go to that and you'll be inspired by that but sometimes with men's sport you don't have that same draw from from the young women and the young girls by the side of the road and i found that so so powerful to see that and reports again from uh, the women's euro stadium they were saying that they went with their families and it was just mm. such a great atmosphere that they would never take their young kids to to a you know a, a men's euro final because it would be drunk men and um and an aggressive you know, smell of alcohol and very you know aggressive yeah. and they'd be worried about their kids and so i hope that this new vibe that we have with women's sport at the very very top level getting onto terrestrial television really starts to transcend all other sports and actually incites a culture change within the sport so that more people are able to access it and then are inspired from a really young age and you know just just from further afield you know more people who wouldn't necessarily see it or wouldn't necessarily be inspired by it have this opportunity to get into the sport yeah i can't see how it won't um and honestly i've covered so much live sport in my career i have never um cried watching sport for my job never and I was I was sobbing watching that final stage I just couldn't we were in the studio and I just couldn't control myself I was so overcome with emotion I just thought it was the most powerful beautiful thing that I've ever seen in sport um just amazing amazing um anyway back to the Vuelta and where was I um yes Annemiek van Vleuten <laughs> the legend <laughs> uh so she won all three um jerseys of course Elisa Longoborghini finished in second after wearing the red jersey following stage one and Damie Vollering finished in third so another podium for her after finishing second at the Tour de France fam and after crashing out of the Tour of Scandinavia um so stages were won by Trek in the team time trial once again ahead of bike exchange and fdj um, just quickly bike exchange apparently that was the first time they'd ever done a team time trial either in competition or in training that though that particular composition of riders phenomenal wow. um the hilliest stage two was won by annemiek van vleuten with longoborghini second and lippert third and the other stages were won by grace brown Sylvia Persico of Valcar Travel and Service. For him, it was a first win after two Tour de France fan podiums and a fifth on GC there. And Elisa Balsamo back on the top step of the podium where we've seen her so often in the Rainbow Bands for stage five. And I think, <laughs> I think that brings us to the end of the news roundup, but it probably doesn't. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. No. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. That's good. Almost, almost, re almost reaching forty minutes now, and uh, we've almost got. Sorry, I mean the, everybody has uh, switched up. off already, but uh, no, I've got a couple of mentions stuff. outside oh, of the Women's World Tour. <laughs> I wanted to mention uh, congratulations to Marjolaine Van Kloof, who is you know a contributor to this podcast. Um, generous contributor to this podcast, I should say, for her first pro win at uh, the one point one Grote Prix Birens. Uh, in Belgium, sorry to Eilhut. all people of Belgium, uh, <laughs> and that Misha Bredevold backed up her first win the other day with a second win at 1.2 à travers les Hauts de France, um, and Julie de Wilder also took a win at Crisset Grand Prix de Wallonie. So there have been a lot of other people, you know, getting onto the top step all over the world, and it's been very exciting to see. So I'm sorry, Orla, but that is actually everything uh, <laughs> for now. Don't be sorry. It's wonderful to have such names up there. I'm enjoying it. Shoot.
Je chute à l'arrière du peloton. Cycling podcast team car. The back of the pack, please. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, as I mentioned uh, earlier in the show, the World Championships are indeed upon us. And they're going to be starting, well, for the women at least, on Sunday. Um, well, this Sunday, if you're listening to this uh, podcast immediately. Well done you, if you are, by the way. Um, and the World Championships are returning uh, to Australia for the first time uh, since 2010 heading to Wollongong uh, in New South Wales and uh, well the uh, another New South Wales native and that is Amanda Spratt is actually Australia's most recent podium finisher uh, and I managed to catch up with her earlier so let's hear what she had to say. Obviously excited to talk to you about um, the World Championships but I just wanted to talk a little bit about your recent um seasons first because you know you've had to suffer so many setbacks in recent years how have you kind of dealt to you know how how do you deal with that how have you learned to to put up with uh you know, you've had a number of setbacks recently yeah it's certainly been a challenging well I'd say 18 months two years to say the least um obviously last season and and even the season before that didn't quite go to plan um even if I look back to 2020 after the COVID year when I, I spent um, a lot of the time out with a bad concussion and then last season with the iliac artery diagnosis and then the surgery and then coming back strong this season and then COVID in the Giro and then crashing out of the Tour de France. So it's just felt like one thing after the other, to be honest. But I think um, amongst it all, I've still seen progress in my in myself and that I am getting back to that level that I want to be at. So I think that's what I've always just kept in mind or I guess that's what is still keeping me motivated and and optimistic and I'm always yeah quite a positive person so yeah I've, I saw for example right before the Giro I did my best over 10 minute power so that was like for me a moment where I just thought oh, okay cool like it's it's actually worth it and, and everything's going in the right direction so yeah just little moments like that is what's sort of kept me kept me going and those who know me well know that I'm um, extremely stubborn and determined so I don't give up easily. <laughs> and how difficult has it been to change well, you have you had to change your mindset because I imagine, uh, like you know, pre-pandemic, pre-concussion, you would be going into a race, and it, where you placed in the race would be, would tell you whether you had a good race or not, or how happy to be with your performance. Have you had to change into kind of looking at more personal motivations instead? Yeah, definitely, and I think that's probably been the biggest challenge, and especially this year coming back from the surgery and. You know, I was still, I started already at Santos Festival Cycling in January. And then, my, you know, I was already racing on the World Tour at Strada Bianca. And I think it was really hard not to feel down after races like that when I was getting dropped as soon as we hit the first hard gravel sector. 
And then, yeah, just not being able to, you know, all the climbers or, you know, the races that I used to love and really perform in and be able to sort of race with the best was, yeah, I couldn't do it anymore. So that was challenging. And, yeah, that was probably the thing I had to work on the most is how, how can I have goals? What should my expectations be? Mm-hmm. I guess just finding what are realistic expectations for me in this moment was probably the, the challenging one. And even just changing the way I was racing, for example, in the Ardennes, I was given, you know, more freedom to, to go in breakaways and try to sort of make the final in that way. So that's that's what I did in Liège, best on Liège, for example, where I finished 10th. And, yeah, I just I was gave, had the freedom to go in that early breakaway. So it was just sort of changing my goals and, and how I felt satisfied. But I, I think that was definitely the hardest part. But it feels like now that you're coming into a good vein of form, you know, at the perfect time just before the World Championships. Yeah, no, it's been it's been nice. I've had yeah since obviously crashing out of the Tour de France, I had a couple of weeks where I couldn't train properly, but I had a really nice block of training in August, and then yeah, had a good race in Ploway and in Sumac Ladies Tour. So it feels like now I've had nice interrupted block, and and the form's coming up well. Um, if anything, I'm looking at it positively and thinking I'm fresher than normal for this part of the season. Like normally, you get to the end of the season, and it's like this balance of you're already a bit cooked and trying not to fully cook yourself and still yeah. stay you know relatively fresh enough so I don't really have that feeling um which is nice I think and something I can take out of it and you always perform well at the world champs I mean you know you've had a couple of podiums do do you feel like you raise your game at the world uh champs or you know do you feel like you're a championship rider in that way I think I've definitely showed that in the past on courses that that suit me and when I'm I'm really focused towards that goal I certainly can lift a level lift the level and cope with the pressure and and really be focused there but I think yeah I've had always had an amazing team around me and a team that supported me so you know I think that also makes a difference when you have a team that really believe in you and want to support you um and that's something a culture we've really developed well in the Australian cycling team and even worked on it more in the last year so now I'm really excited about Wollongong and home worlds and actually my first ever elite worlds was in Geelong in 2010 so sort of almost going full full circle um back back on home roads so now I'm really really excited and also excited about the team that we have and and, you know how special is it going to be to be on the I mean you you are as but I know that you're from uh New South Wales and you know about an hour or whatever's drive away from Wollongong I mean that's got to be as close as you can possibly be in Australia it's absolutely amazing. And actually, when I was um, younger, like under 19s, I used to motor pace along sort of where we're going to do the first 34k up until Wollongong. I used to motor pace along that road all the time with my coach. So, wow. yeah, it's just going to be incredible to race there. And, you know, my family are coming down, my aunties, people from my local cycling club, my friends. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. And I think. You know, we race most of the year in, in Europe and, and when someone says your name, it's like, wow, oh my gosh, someone knows who I am. Whereas I think it's going to be, yeah, different, I think, in a home world. I've, yeah, I've already got people telling me where they're going to be on the course and they'll be cheering. And so there's just that yeah, extra element of excitement and buzz about yeah, being able to just race in front of a home crowd. And how important will it be also for uh, Australia and, and the bike scene there? Because, you know, since the pandemic, it's been it's been difficult for the races to uh, come back and, and uh, have the attention that they, that they used to have. That's amazing. I think, yeah, there were still question marks about whether it was going to be able to happen in Australia with all the COVID restrictions and everything. But, yeah, really, <laughs> obviously, you know, um, uh, yeah, things have become much better over the last six, 12 months. So it's really pleasing that we can have this. And, yeah, it's been incredible already to see all the riders coming out to Australia and training in Australia and, you know, really appreciating how amazing the course is. So I think, yeah, it's going to be a really special moment. Have you already noticed how different it is from, you know, you mentioned being there 
in 2010 in Geelong when the world champs were there. Have you noticed uh, a big difference already in kind of the attention that you guys uh, are getting? Yeah, more people are appreciating um, what this means, or maybe it's just I'm older and I'm more um, used to this or more aware or thinking more of it. I remember in 2010 in Geelong, it was my first world, so I was completely overwhelmed and probably didn't, you know, realise exactly how big the event was. But, yeah, I think, you know, we are getting a lot of coverage and a lot of people asking for interviews and, and photos and, yeah, I've already, you know, you can see how many people are out in Wollongong already on the course and noticing riders go by. So that, that feels really nice um, to see that. And, yeah, I feel like, yeah, the Europeans now coming to Australia are also feeling that support. So that's been really cool to see on, on social media. And you mentioned how strong your team is. I mean, on paper, it, the Australian team is one of the very strongest um, that are going to be lining up. How do you kind of balance all the talents in your team? Well, take us through some of the your uh, your teammates and you know what their strengths are um overall i feel like we actually have the um one of the strongest teams that we've had in recent years just in terms of depth and in terms of rider roles so i think that's really exciting for australia and just also a reflection of, of how well the australian riders are going overseas at the moment um we have josie talbot um which is really cool she's the oceania champion so she she gained her spot um apart from her strong performances through through that victory but she's a local Wollongong rider so it doesn't get much better than that literally from from Wollongong racing wow. in Wollongong so she'll be our hometown hero and yeah if anyone knows the roads well then it's going to be her and I think she'll be really invaluable in that sort of first part of the race um we have Georgia Baker who's had a really strong strong season and we saw her win three gold medals at the Commonwealth Games um on the track and also the road race so yeah again um she's racing the individual time trial but she'll be uh, really invaluable on that on that first part as well before Mount Kira uh, we have Sarah Roy, who's just like the ultimate team player, ultimate teammate, um, can sort of fit a number of roles. Um, I, I think that she'll get quite far into the race and be a really valuable uh, member of the team. Um, we have then we have four four more. So we have Brody Chapman, who has just stepped up incredibly well over the last I think around 12 months we've seen her in FDJ um you often don't see it maybe in races but the amount of work that she does for her teammates um is is incredible I think she's not often given the opportunity to go for a result for herself um but yeah we've certainly noticed how strong she's been so I think she's going to be there really deep into the final and be one of the key riders for us um and Alex Manley is our sort of faster card I think one of our faster cards she's had an incredible I want to say like breakthrough season. She's obviously mm -hmm. raced on the world tour before, but this has been after sort of doing track more so in the previous years, this has been her first world tour season and she sort of wasted no time in on being right up there. We saw her in Turingen, um, Tour of Britain, uh, more recently Scandinavia getting that stage win. So she's just been consistently good this year. So she'll definitely be one of the riders that we want to get right into that very final lap and, and with the possibility of getting a result um, alongside Grace Brown, who will be mm -hmm. our other leader of, of the race so um yeah as recently as just the Volta, which just finished grace won a stage in typical grace brown fashion in, in a breakaway <laughs> with elise chubby and and basically yeah they two up sprint and she was just too strong but i know grace has really been targeting this race and yes yeah, so i think grace and alex really deserve the, that leadership role for us and and um yeah i think we can yeah look out for a, a trademark move or yeah she's also super strong in a sprint so i think have options there 
Um, and then I round out the team. So <laughs> the old mother hen, um, probably the veteran of the team. The, the veteran, no, I think actually Roy's older than me. <laughs> but the, the veteran maybe in terms of world championship starts of the team. Um, and, yeah, I'm certainly – I'll be the road captain, so certainly hoping to go deep into the race um, and really support support the team. So, yeah, that's it. So, they pretty strong team, and that, that's why I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, they should definitely rename the road captain role as mother hen role instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my mum laughs every time. Um, yeah, they call me a veteran in news articles now, because I used to always like laugh, laugh at the older writers when I was younger and say this ancient warrior and mother hen and everything, and now I'm that person. So, <laughs> And with that responsibility, is it is it hard to balance the roles? I mean, it's quite a good spread of kind of strengths across the Australia team in a way that kind of the Dutch team have a lot of champions, but you know, there, there isn't like a people who are domestiques all year round in, in their team, for example. Yeah, no, I think that's what, yeah, definitely an advantage for us is that we do have um, quite clear roles, I think. And um, I think we've always been really good in worlds and certainly in 2018, 2019, and we will again this year be really clear in our roles and really we have so much belief in the riders that we think can get a result as well and especially like Grace and Alex have had exceptional seasons so we know what they can do in those hard one-day races and we all believe that. Um, and I think, yeah, we've really developed this culture of, um, you know, just everything for the team goal and really uh, embracing that. And, you know, if one of, if Alex or Grace or whoever gets gets a result, then it feels like everyone's result. So I think that's been a really nice culture, cultural change or shift that we've had in the last few years in particular. And uh, obviously we're talking about um, you being a veteran, but you've signed a new contract <laughs> to move to Trek Segafredo, which is not a very, you know, a move that a veteran necessarily uh, makes um you know how big See, a veteran with more to offer yes <laughs> more to come um but you know how exciting it is that after so many years in the bike exchange Mitchelton um setup to be you know going to a fresh challenge at Trek Segafredo so excited about that the change um obviously yeah so grateful to bike exchange for 11 amazing years um yeah i've grown so much as a rider there and and i leave on I leave on good terms and you know i'll always love the team and be a huge fan of the team um but for me yeah it was just about a change and you know trek segafredo has just been a team i've always looked up to since they started and i just feel like they're a team that are professionalizing women's cycling and they're the sort of team that everyone's sort of modeling themselves off in terms of the way they're being professional and raising the level so yeah for me i think i quoted somewhere that i feel like a kid in the candy store <laughs> I, I like candy a lot so that's that's pretty much how i feel um, I, I, i'm the veteran but i feel very young at heart with this move and no i'm just really excited i think um yeah, I'm obviously coming back from my surgery, but I feel like I'm still getting stronger and I have a lot more to give still. And I'm just super excited about learning more and working with, you know, an amazing director, Nina Teutenberg, who I used to race alongside. Um, and just, yeah, so much admiration for her. And then, yeah, racing with people like Lizzie Dignan, Elisa Longo-Borghini, Elisa Balsamo. Um, I could pretty much <laughs> name the whole team. But, yeah, I'm just, I feel like I can still learn a lot and, and grow. And I think it's just the right time for a change. So the riders are going to be taking on the uh, roads of Wollongong. So, uh, Lizzie, have you had a little look at the route? Can you tell us a little bit about what we should be expecting uh, from this Australian feast? 
Well, the women's road race is 164.2 kilometres. It starts north of Wollongong up in Helensborough and then heads down the coast towards Wollongong before doing a 32-kilometre loop taking in Mount Kira, which is a bit of a savage climb, to be honest. It's 8.7 kilometres long, averaging 6.2 with a max of, of 15%. So even though that is a very long way from the finish, over 100 kilometres, I think that is probably going to be the first critical point in the race. And we should not put it past Annemie Van Vluten <laughs> yeah. to go and do a long one because we've seen her win like that before in Yorkshire, of course. We love you, Annemie, but uh, please don't. They've done that. <laughs> don't cut it off too <laughs> soon. <laughs> <laughs> so after they've done the, the the large loop they will then go into the city for six laps of the city circuit which is a very very technical circuit so the time trial actually replicates this circuit but it misses out the the steep one kilometer climb of mount pleasant which is an average of 9.3 with a max of 18.7 so the women do this six times um and on the on the city circuit there's 23 turns 23 90 degree turns including one 470 loop the loop on the time trial course and there's a few more on the road race course because it includes the mount pleasant climb and the last climb of mount pleasant is eight kilometer from the top to the finish line so it is really anybody's guess i've been thinking about this a lot today and i really cannot decide who my favorite for this race would be because i just think it could go any way there are a lot of really strong teams in this race of course we know the dutch but there's the italian team the australian team and then there's lots of great riders on perhaps not quite so strong teams but if they can profit off the strong teams they could really do something so i i just i just don't know what do you think rose Oh, straight to me. I was just thinking, oh, I'm just going to tee up a little question for, for Orla to tell us a little bit more about the Australian um, team. Well, you know, I'm just kind of very happy to see a really strong home team for these championships because Australia, um, they, I mean, they've got, they're packed full of options, aren't they? I mean, obviously, uh, Amanda uh, Spratt um, is, is only just kind of coming into form now, but we're really looking more towards... Uh, Grace Brown to Brody Chapman to Alex Manley. I mean, these are are uh, riders um, that have been just constantly uh, either on the top step or near the top step all year, and they they seem to be kind of finding their peak um, at the right time. And I feel like uh, I mean, we always talk about the Dutch team, but they they do sometimes take a misstep, don't they? The Dutch team because they have so many champions among their ranks. Um, I think with the Australian team, they can be a little bit more streamlined um, in terms of their approach. I think uh, they've got a great advantage as well um, because a lot of the, you know the European riders won't have uh, gone out, won't have been on the, won't have had the opportunity to go out on these roads before right now, where the, when they've actually flown out for the championships itself. Whereas, um, you know, there's plenty of New South Wales natives that will have had the opportunity to try out these roads in advance and do a recon. And because it is technical, that is vital. And that is, um, that is you know, that is so helpful on a technical course to 
be aware of where's the best corners, where's the best uh, time to make the moves. Although, as you say, Lizzie, it is a circuit, so you have enough time to wreck it mm. when you're doing the race, I guess. But that could be particularly important in the time trial because Grace Brown has had the chance to, to recon this a couple of times already. And, um, of course, we didn't see her in the latest showdown for the time trial because it was the European Championships. Um, and, of course, being Australian, she can't compete in that. But I, you know, I spoke with Leah Thomas um, earlier today and, and she was saying how busy it is out on the course and it's very, very difficult to recon the course. And there is a period where the course is closed where everybody is able to see it but having that in your mind for a long time is very helpful and grace is in incredible form at the moment so i think that although we've been looking at van dyke and royce she could be a, a black horse as ridiculous a, <laughs> <Black horse. laughs> a dark horse as as ridiculous as that sounds for grace brown to be a dark horse but she could be a, a dark horse for the time trial um but yeah i mean brody chapman has been in absolutely searing form recently and i would imagine they would go all in for grace brown but having somebody like like brody chapman as a helper and we've seen the australian team work so well together recently where they were working for georgia baker um in the commonwealth games where they took the win there um that i think that they've already got a good team spirit uh which is really really important and you mentioned the netherlands and sometimes the netherlands just don't really click as a team but the australian team do and the italian team i think importantly do as well because the italian team have got a very very strong team going into this world championships and just before we leave the australian team i think it's also you know relevant that a lot of the riders on the australian team will have uh, either ride for bike exchange or have been through the bike exchange kind of setup and i think that if you've kind of uh you've worked together as a team you have experience of working as a trade team throughout the year then that really uh helps um i mean that that is probably one of the problems with the dutch squad is that uh they tend to be spread out because they tend to be the best riders uh, in the world. So they are on different teams. Otherwise, they would be, you know, if we have these I, national I agree, yeah. teams across the calendar year, then, you know, a Dutch rider would win, uh, you know, well, a, a Dutch team rider would win um, every single race, wouldn't they? Because uh, so it means that you you don't you don't learn how to work with one each other. You probably don't know or learn to trust each other's strengths and weaknesses and you know when you say you've got the legs trusting that that is that is true or not it's partly that and i think it's partly the the number of champions they have and potentially the number of riders thinking well actually i could win this and and not sacrificing their chances or perhaps the direction from the team you know if if the coach isn't strong-willed enough to say we are going for plan a unless unless this rider goes off the road or gets dropped or whatever we are going for plan a and everybody has to work for plan a uh mariana voss for instance um then that's when you can get into a bit of difficulty if there's not very very clear direction because actually the dutch team do have training camps together. And that's actually one thing that they're very, very good at. I think if we look at the British team, for instance, um, it's really a problem that the British riders never ride together. They come to the World Championships and they simply have never ridden with each other before and they're all on different trade teams. Some of the Dutch riders are on the same teams, Rihanna Marcus and Marianne Voss, um, Shirin van Amroy and Ellen van Dijk. But they do they do actually have training camps together in January, often in Gran Canaria, which, which I think are a very, very good thing. Um, but but I think the other really, really interesting thing about this race is that we've got the race within a race, the U23 race. For those that don't know, a U23 jersey will be awarded within this race. Um, but 
it will be just part of the race. I can't even really explain it very well because I think the idea is just so stupid. It, well, it is, but it's. Uh, let, let me explain the stupidity. Someone who knows stupidity so well. Um, no, well, the uh, we were kind of all hoping that there would be an individual event for the uh, under twenty three uh, women, uh, where they would be competing separately uh, for the under twenty three title. But um, as it stands um, in this particular championships, whichever uh, rider finishes uh, highest. Uh, and they're, you know, in the under 23 category, they will win the title. So, you know, it's not really how bike racing goes. Um, it doesn't really make sense. Uh, but, I mean, I guess it will be an interesting thing to watch, won't it, Orla? Um, how well, teams play that out. I think, the, I think it's know. absolute insanity. I <laughs> well, I'm intrigued. Well, I think I'm it's intrigued. insanity. I think it's one of those things whereby it's almost like if you have an argument with your other half and you know you're right and they know you're right, but they don't want to admit that they're wrong. So they'll let you know that you're right in a different way without ever saying, I put my hands in the air, I apologise, I'm in the wrong. The UCI are letting us all know that we're right. There should be an under 23 world yes, champion. Yeah, yeah. But they won't go so far as to say, and we're wrong, so we'll give you another race. I just think as well, I mean, when is the under 23 world champion going to get to wear the jersey? The thing is, unless you've got a team that's built mm, around that's the under-23 race, it's too distracting. You cannot have your focus on that one, what should be a huge target. It should be a huge honour. It should be a huge... Which should be the only, the only target. The well, only yeah, but, target, but, but, but I mean, even in terms of global cycling, it should be something that marks yeah, yeah. someone's arrival onto the um, senior scene, Um and we should all be talking about that one rider. We should not be able to say, yeah, but they only won because they were the lead out for whoever or they were they were such a strong domestique. You know, we shouldn't have a strong domestique being allowed to be discredited for their what would be an incredible achievement because they weren't targeting the under 23 title. Maybe they will be. You know, we don't know how this is going to pan out. But it's just, it's just a, I think it's really unfortunate and I think it really devalues uh that jersey and i i hesitate to say that because whoever wins it will deserve to win it and it'll be a huge honor and it should be given an awful lot of uh, credence and prestige but i just think that's really unfortunate to be perfectly honest i think it's sad the, the difficulty for me is that it it has the potential to to severely interfere with with the other race you know with the the elite world title and whichever way around that is if one interferes with the other i don't think that's right you know for instance we've got the british team we've got six riders two elites and four u23 so they're obviously heading with um the idea that perhaps they can take riders who are going to get experience for the future but also perhaps they're looking to actually win that jersey and now say so what happens if somebody's in a break up the road and then well they go oh no i'm not going to chase because i'm going for the u23 jersey and then that has an impact on the elite race i think it's very very difficult so then within the the dutch team of course we've got sheeran van amroy who's currently the leader in the women's uh, world tour young rider classification so is she going to contribute to you know a victory for van bluten or mariana voss or is she going to be thinking well what if i can win this u23 title which i'm sure will come with you know huge financial re reward as well as uh you know, personal satisfaction and gratification as well. I just think that either do it properly or don't do it at all. That, I, I, yeah, I think it's too much of a halfway house, really. Yeah, it really is. And, and Lizzie, do you, do you have any sense of, 
of whether people are actually interested in the jersey or whether it will just be a byproduct um, result. You know, will people actually be, or teams even be targeting it? Do you, do you really think? Or you know, as all I said, you know, there isn't there is very little opportunity to wear the to wear the jersey. So you know. You know, who who cares? As we say, <laughs> who cares? <laughs> who cares? I I think it's a very very tricky one. You know, I've been looking through the team lists, and we don't actually have all of the full lists for um for all of the nations yet, which is very surprising, seeing as the World Championships. If you hadn't noticed, it's actually in Australia, <laughs> which is on the other side of the world, where most of the bike racing you probably happens. need a visa. Um, <laughs> but for instance, you know, the USA team, they don't have a young rider. Um, you know, a lot of the teams either don't have a young rider or do have a young rider just by virtue of the fact that they are, are one of the the better riders. Canada, for instance, they have Simone Boylard, who's a, who's a great young talent. Whether she'll get over the climbs or not, I don't know. So I, I, I think I would imagine if I were the DS, I would go in with the plan A to if you have a credible candidate to win the world title, be up there to get on the podium. If you don't have a credible chance of, of actually getting on the podium, then actually, if you think that you've got a chance of getting that U23 jersey, I would go for that because it will it will have great mm. respect and it will be highly prized. I, I guess but, as the first one as well, it, it might you know its status will be slightly yeah. more inflated than it would otherwise as well. And you will still wear it in training. Um, but of course, yeah. it's just it's just a bit difficult, and it's just a bit confused. I think, and I, I just my concern is that it makes the race confused. But looking at looking at the teams that people are taking, um, generally speaking, there is not a focus on it. I would say I would say the focus is on taking the strongest riders who are capable of winning the title overall um, and there are a few teams here and there who who kind of well British team I would say um, is the main one really um, Germany have got Ricardo Baumfeind who I mentioned of course before with the Tour of the Pyrenees who I think is actually a really really great chance for, for winning that young rider jersey and but it'll be it'll be a huge race for her to be in the world championships. She's been racing with Canyon Stram Generation, who've generally been doing smaller races. So it'll be really interesting to see how she finds this world championships because it can be incredibly overwhelming suddenly being in a in a, a huge race with all of this this media attention and pressure and expectation and all of the biggest riders in the world and some riders just find it overwhelming. So um, I think it's interesting. I think I think it's just a bit of a mishmash with the U23, but. Yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll see if anyone cares. And um, then hopefully, you know, there'll be some clarity on what's going to happen next year. But I would like to see a separate race um, for the U23 riders. The one thing I would say just about the worlds in general is that I think I'm I'm really excited about it. I think it, it could be and hopefully should be a really exciting race. The caveat being, of course, if Annemiek van Vleuten goes in a long solo attack, that's probably it. However, if we do have a full race by the time we get to Mount Unpleasant, as I think it should be renamed with the gradients that you've been talking about, Lizzie, then we should have a really exciting, aggressive, dynamic race on our hands that could go any way. What I really like about this finishing circuit and especially Mount Unpleasant is that it will suit 
so many different nations and and different riders within the different nations as well. And I just think it's a kind of finish that could have you standing uh, on your sofa, spilling your morning coffee all over the place, cheering on whoever it is you're backing. But, you know, if we've got the likes of Mariana Voss up there, if we've got Elisa Longo-Borghini up there, um, Cassia Nivia Doma, Cecilia Trip-Ludwig, all of those kinds of riders are the are the riders who we could and hopefully should see finding it out in the finale and that would be just wonderful i'm getting goosebumps even thinking about it if we if we've got it coming down to that final circuit it's going to be an absolute my phone just fell off my desk in excitement um it's going to be an absolute <laughs> clinker i'm really really excited about it i think it could be a classic i really do and let's not forget actually i completely agree with you sorry just briefly the australians have never won they've never won uh, the women's world ra- road race and to have the home crowd behind the likes of Amanda Spratt, Grace Brown, who grew up 75 kilometres away from um, Wollongong, will be huge. We know how fanatical the Australians get about their cycling, about their sport in general. They don't get the kinds of racing that we get in Europe. So they're going to be, I think, just brilliant and fully behind the entire race. So it's going to be an awful lot of fun to watch, I think, even at the ungodly hour of the morning as it will be over here in Europe. The cycling podcast Femina is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Well, thank you very much to our longtime sponsors, Science in Sport. If you're looking for any of your sports nutrition needs, whether that be hydration or recovery uh, or energy, uh, then head to scienceinsport.com and use the code SISCP25 for 25% off all your products on there. I have to say, actually, uh, I do... Well, this serves my cousin right. He spent £200 at Science in Sport um, a few months ago when he was going to do the Ironman. And because he doesn't listen to the podcast, he didn't get 25% off. What a fool. So I told him he could have saved 50 quid. What an idiot. But if you don't want to... more of a fool for not using the code... Or more of a fool for not listening to the podcast. <laughs> well, you can make your uh, you make your own judgment on that. <laughs> well, I like I like the fact that you can call him a fool and an idiot because he doesn't listen to the podcast. I wonder what you'd be saying about him if he was listening. <laughs> Let's just hope he hasn't changed his mind now that he gets some discount. <laughs> well, um, luckily for science in sport, um, my cousin actually um, broke his collarbone, so he's going to have to retrain for another <laughs> Ironman. Next year, this will be his fifth in a oh, row Rose. that he'll be doing, uh, or attempting to do, because he hasn't actually completed one yet. Um, so that's another 200 quid to science and sport, but another 50 quid off for Andrew if he bothers listening. So if you don't want to be like Andrew... This is an absolute burn. I'm sorry, Andrew, <laughs> if you are listening. This is terrible. Then uh, if you don't want to be like Andrew, then SISCP25 is the code you need on scienceinsport.com. Uh, Hashtag be less Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've discussed a little bit um, of some of the... Well, we mainly discussed kind of the Australian team. We mentioned the Dutch team, the British team. Uh, Lizzie, you gave us a little shout-out to the Italian Italians. team, of course. Um, uh, so let's hear from some of the riders uh, from some of those uh, teams that are out in Australia already about what they expect uh, from the road race. Leia Thomas, USA. 
I think it's a super interesting course, and I'm actually really excited to race it. I think it's a course that takes a lot of thought into how to best pace it. It's really long, and if you go out too hard too early, you're really going to be in trouble.、Um, it's also pretty technical. Like there's lots of turns at the beginning,、um, and the end is like a little more straightforward. But there's just a lot to think about, and so I think that makes it really interesting. But it also means I really, honestly, don't know how it's going to play out. I think it can go a variety of different ways. I really hope I can pull off a time trial like I had at nationals. I had really great training going into that nationals time trial. I was really focused on that event, and I tried to mimic it for worlds. And I'm feeling pretty good, but you have to have good legs on the day. And there's some really good time trialists. Really, what I'm looking for is being able to have my best race, to have done my due diligence, to to be as prepared as I can. And then you just have to race and see where you you play out. The thing about time trial is, if somebody's better you than you on the day, they're better than you on the day, and there's nothing you can do about it. So the goal is to align the cards in my favor as best as I can, and then put out my best effort. And that's really all I can ask of myself. And there's a lot of pressure to say I want to finish in X place, but really, I think in the time trial, really, you want to do your best race, and that's. What I'm trying to focus on. I mean, it's unfortunate to have lost、um, both Corinne and Krista from part of our team. I think the biggest way it changes it is that we don't have a pure sprinter anymore. Skylar Schneider's obviously here, but she hasn't raced in the world's peloton. So if she's there, great. I guess we we you know it'll. It'll work really well, but I think before if it had come down to a sprint, we would have raced for Corinne, and so、um, I think it leaves us with some more opportunities to to look for those breakaways and look for those attacks and and find a move that hopefully sticks. I think it's going to be game on, probably from before the climb, but definitely on the climb.、Um, and then really, it's just seeing what kind of numbers we can have in the circuits and how we can use that to our advantage. Elisa Longo Borghini, Italy. Well, I think it's going to be a very hard、uh, race because,、um, of course,、uh, the course features a climb、um, before entering the the last、uh, the last circuit, which is six kilometer long, and then, of course, people will try to go there some somehow. And then、um, the last circuit is、uh, really technical, and、um, there's this climb of、uh, 1.4 kilometers, more or less,、uh, with some、uh, steep steep.、Um, He pinches him, so I think it suits a very explosive rider in the end. If there is a small group going to the to the finish, and、um, we have these kind of riders in our team, and we hope for、um, uh, yeah an aggressive race, and also yeah eventually we we hope that our restricted bunch comes to the end、uh, because we have a fast rider which is Elisa Basamon, and that card is a very good one for us. Marlon Reuser, Switzerland. My idea about the time trial, which is for sure a very, very interesting one, because I I had a look、uh, at the loop. We do twice this loop through the city of Wollongong, and it's such a nice loop and such a tricky loop. There is many, how to say, obstacles or nice things to think about: corners, lines, up and downs. Super interesting loop, and I think there are so many small things that will make small differences, but sum up in the end to、uh, quite some time. So I think it's about physics, but it's also about really being a smart and good time trialist and 
Also, it depends maybe a bit on what type of rider you are, because different to, for example, last year's Flanders, which was completely boring and flat and straight, um, where you had to put in a steady pace here. It's more about being maybe a bit the punchier time, time, time trialist, because you have to to do waves and then small downhills and small uphills and yeah so it's not a steady pacing but a, a steady up and down and I think that's why it's possible that some riders that before were maybe never on a podium in a big time trial may be now on the podium also so my favorites if you want to hear that is for sure um the our duchies so Annemiek van Vleuten and Ellen van Dijk and then I think um, Grace Brown should be mentioned I think this time trial is perfect for her type of rider and yeah that's my yeah I maybe I hope me, myself I have also a chance I <laughs> I will definitely try for yeah I'm maybe not the best in terms of technical um, writing but I love uh, that course and I'm sure I, I at least gonna have fun on it so yeah happy to see what happens for sure gonna be interesting as I said Eleanor Backstead Great Britain uh, I'm really looking forward to Worlds this year um, obviously, it's my first world since being a junior, so yeah, I'm really excited to represent GB again. I think the course could be really difficult. There's multiple ways that it could be raced, I think. Um, I'm sure the Dutchies are going to want to go full gas at the first climb because, well, it is pretty long. Um, and I think if they do that, they can probably clear a good few riders out of the peloton. Um, but then after the climb, there's quite a long bit of flat, so I think some groups could come back and form like a small peloton, but you know, otherwise they could just wait to the circuit. So I'm really excited to see how it plays out because I think it could be a really interesting race. Um, I think GB have some good chances. Uh, I think we've got a really strong team. We've got a young team, but a strong team. And I think, you know, we've got some really good climbers too with Anna Shackley and Pfeiffer. And I think it's a really powerful course. So I think, yeah, we've got a good support system and we've got some good lead riders. And yeah, I'm really excited to see what happens. And obviously this year is the first year of the under 23 title as well. So I think we could be in a good chance of winning that. Well, we would have heard there, of course, some of the predictions from the riders, but what kind of our overall predictions uh, that we have for this road race? Not necessarily who's going to win, but who might, which teams might be animating the race, which teams might impress. What, what do you think, Orla? The Italians. Mm. I need to say this quietly because the door to the office is ajar, so my neighbours might be able to hear and they'll be hurling oranges in my direction um, <laughs> in central Amsterdam, of course. Um, but I think the Italians are, um, they're just looking great. And uh, given the fact that Persico has just had a recent win, their team is stacked with potential winners and they race really well together. Mm, um, so I think they are my favourites to get another world title. But I think actually more for Longoborghini than Balsamo. But yeah, the Italians are uh, my pick and it looks like I nicked Lizzie's pick. I am cursing <laughs> you because you have been mind reading me and you said nearly every single thing I was going to say. Except, <laughs> except that good. I don't know who I would pick from the Italian team. Um, if, 
If it came down to a smaller group, Longo Borghini would be a great shout. If it comes down to more of a small bunch sprint, then I actually wonder about Persico because I'm thinking that due to the just absolute savage nature of Mount Kira, which they tackle quite early on, and the number of ascents of Mount Pleasant, and the nature of the city course, which always, always incites fast, aggressive racing, like we saw in in the Belgium uh, World Championships as well, uh, that I think that I think that Persico might be really, really suited to that attritional style with the climbs and then having a smaller group at the end. And then if that happens, then taking a, taking a sprint from that. But if there's a possibility for a breakaway, then I think Longley Borghini is a really great shout. Um, but I, I concur with everything you say, Orla. Unfortunately, I don't, have a, I don't have a different opinion because I just think that Italy have been... They've really proven themselves over the last proven themselves over the last few years about their ability to to race together and to commit to the common goal. And I think that that is almost more important than having the best rider in the world. And Anamik may do a long distance flyer, but um, I actually don't think this is the best course for her because I think it's a bit too punchy for her. So unless she manages to get away somewhere, which would probably be due to numbers, I would say, of the Dutch team, then I think that perhaps some, you know, the Italian team have a better chance. I mean, everyone's going to be watching her as well on that that first Mount Kira, aren't they? Well, not that they can do anything about it. But what about you, Rose? What's your prediction? You're not you're not getting away with this. Oh no, um, <laughs> um, I would have. Uh, well, I think the Italian team is is a, a great shout. <laughs> I should just say the Dutch team because I'm you know I'm bound to do well. The Italian by team haven't the paid team. us, by the way. No, no. Um, yeah, <laughs> I I do actually really like the look of the Australian team, and I think it would be really special yeah. uh, for them. Um, I think Alex Manley would be um, a, a great shout from them. Well, Speaking of cousins, I have to say, but she's not because she hasn't got an E uh, in her name. But I did notice on the um, the UCI highlights, they always spe- on the rankings at the end they always spell her name with an E. I presume it's because I I know the producer uh, who makes them, so he probably just thinks that's how you spell the name. But every time I see it, I think there's a little <laughs> tribute to me there, perhaps. Uh, but no, I think Alex Manley. Uh, she obviously got her first World Tour win um, very recently, so you know coming into form, we know that she can she can handle. Um, um, uh, climbs and uh, you know reasonably punchy things like you know at the women's tour she kind of finished high up in the sprints and she finished high up on the climbs um, so I think Alex Manley might be a very good uh, shout um, I would love to see a Mariana Voss win of course I mean how yeah, incredible would that of course, be of course. and you know what I did find one of those incredible things when we're putting up putting together the uh, Tour de Buffalo at the Tour de France fam, listening to your you and Richard all are doing your very first Tour de um, doing your very first cycling podcast feminin, and uh, I was just like you know listening through the whole thing and listening to you guys kind of talking about Mariana Voss how you know is this you know might she be considering retirement now you know her you know her for, yeah. she's lost all Gosh. her form through injury and illness 2016 yeah and she was yeah. kind of um you know on a downward um trajectory uh, back then and, and you know mm. even and yeah. you know kind of saying wouldn't it be nice if she did well at the world championships but we just really don't think that 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 can can happen so i think it was it was very beautiful thing um to hear that and and to see Mariana Voss still kind of bossing it, so so I guess my heart belongs to uh, Mariana Voss. Uh, maybe take adding another world champion 
championships to her incredible palmares. But I mean, where where are you uh, guys going to be to watch uh, the World Championships? Because obviously the time difference makes it all uh, a little bit difficult. All I know you're you're going to be uh, covering it, but um, only from uh, London, which will, or from Bath, I guess. To which from, from not Bath. that Bath and London yeah, have yeah, different yeah, yeah. time uh, are different in time difference, but. <laughs> Yeah, it's on the t- same time zone. Yeah, um, yeah. I was going to um, point out my dedication to the race by saying I'll be watching the entire thing, regardless of the time difference. But obviously, that is my job. So yeah, I'll be watching it from the studio basically all the way through. Lizzie, are you going to watch it all? Um, I haven't actually worked out exactly what time it is yet. I know that the women's time trial. I think that they they are going off in. Um, in waves because of the the nature of the circuit because it's two laps of a city circuit uh and i was told that basically it starts at two in the morning or three in the morning so i'm hoping to catch the end of that live uh, and i will probably try and catch the last couple of hours of the uh the road race which will be at six or seven in the morning or something but i i'm not sure i'm gonna be up for the whole thing i'm, I'm afraid because i do think it'll be the last couple of hours that will be the most exciting so well, that's what we say so you know is a message now to Annemiek van Vluten. we don't want to see one of your long range attacks because then no what by the time everyone wakes up on the european side and tunes in the race will be decided we want to keep it exciting to the end to those city circuits don't we although if she does go on the attack you can just go back to bed yes that's true that's the advantage <laughs> and then and then set your alarm for the moment she crosses the even line. you all so, are just having know, a little nap in the studio we've probably got hundreds of thousands of australian listeners who are furious <gasps> yes because they are finally yes, delighted with the fact that they can finally mm. watch something in the daytime and i think for the americans it works and here's out us moaning as well and here's us moaning about the yeah. one Yes, that that's very to true. Watch bike race, so. And that's what they always have to do. That's they true. always Let's have to do it, and they do. Up. So Let's woman up and get on with it, girl. Yeah, yeah exactly. Let's do that. And uh, well, I look forward to speaking to both of you after the World Championship, so we can. Uh, I was going to say pick over the carcass, but that would—that's not the right um, phrase <laughs> at all. So that we can uh, discuss everything that happened. But uh, thank you both for for joining me for that. Um, well, you know, we, we covered so much, didn't we? Um, just then, just uh, six weeks of women bike riding. Yeah, too much. Women cycling completed at me. <laughs> completed, done. tick, done. Boss level, done. Uh, but thank you very much, uh, Lizzie. Thank you, Rose. And thank you, Orla. Thank you both. See you next time. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed and Lionel Burney. 